0: My name is Brooke Patterson and for today's BJSM podcast, we are joined by Associate Professor Shane Shapiro. We will talk about the responsible use of orthobiologics and regenerative therapies in sports medicine and the recent American Medical Society for Sports Medicine position statement. Dr. Shapiro is currently a consultant in the Department of Orthopaedic Surgery in Florida, where he serves as the Medical Director of the Regenerative Medicine Therapeutics Programme At the Mayo Clinic Centre for Regenerative Medicine. Dr Shapiro has clinical and research experience specialising in the non-surgical management of sports and musculoskeletal injuries. In addition to a busy orthopaedic practice, Dr Shapiro is dedicated to advancing some of the science and orthopaedics and regenerative medicine through research. In addition to his clinical and research activities, Dr. Shapiro is the Chair of the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine's Regenerative Medicine Subcommittee and on the Board of Directors of the Biological Association, which is a multidisciplinary sports medicine and orthopaedic specialty society advocating for the responsible use of biologics in clinical practice. Well, Dr. Shapiro, you sound like a busy man. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now let's go back to basics. What are orthobiologics biologics and regenerative therapies? Can you give some common examples and for what conditions they are typically used for? And you mentioned in your editorial that there is some inconsistency in the terminology used in research and clinical practice. So what terms should we be using in this space?
1: Sure. Well, I, I like to first just take a step back and using the term regenerative medicine as the broad umbrella classification that describes really what is a new field of medicine, working with cells and tissues and tissue engineering to treat human disease. So it should be noted that regenerative medicine is recognized as a new discipline by both the National Institutes of Health and the United States Food and Drug Administration, as well as many other regulatory agencies and health organizations around the world. So orthobiologics really can be considered almost a specific subset of regenerative therapies, which are used specifically to treat musculoskeletal pathology. And I think the inconsistency comes from the fact that the field of regenerative medicine was built upon the foundation of just a single technology, which is stem cells. And then the term has somewhat exploded in popularity and also subsequent hype and The fact that not many stem cell therapies have actually been translated into clinical applications for orthopedics and sports medicine has led to a bit of a blowback and subsequently many in the field really try to stay away from terms like regenerative medicine and stem cell therapy for fear they are misrepresenting the treatments they are provided. And so I think orthobiologics simplifies the matters for, for most providers. But I also think it's fine to use those other terms provided we're clear in our communications when, you know, when it comes to these, what we call first-generation orthobiologics, what we're really working with are uh, patients' own cells uh, with the blood, bone marrow, and fat tissue being that substrate. But really just taking um, uh, cells from patients, not manipulating them uh, in any major way, and then transferring them back uh, into the patient within the same uh, procedure as we do and so those really aren't true stem cell therapies and so uh, patients might come in asking for things like that uh, and those outside the field may communicate that way but within the field with our colleagues we really need to communicate clearly about the actual um, treatments uh, that we are using.
0: Great, thank you. Now, why did you write the recent editorial on the responsible use of orthobiologics and regenerative therapies?
1: Well, the editorial is a companion piece to a consensus statement put out by the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. And it was published in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine. And the overall goal was to come to consensus on what responsible translation of orthobiologic therapies looks like in 2021. And so this somewhat differs from some other professional organization position papers, which tend to be maybe a little bit more black and white and try and review all of the scientific literature for a wide variety of different orthobiologic products, while also, you know, somewhat condemning some of the abuse and misuse that we've seen elsewhere in the regenerative space. And so our writing group within the AMSSM task force aimed to focus more on the process of translation and the tools that clinicians will need once a particular orthobiologic therapy is is ready for prime time. So we, we can't just flip a switch and expect those treatments to somehow become universally available to practicing clinicians because this is it's a new field of medicine. We're working with human cells and tissues. These are biologic treatments and there are elements to those therapies that are going to differ from conventional medicine. So that's sort of a long-winded way of saying that some complexity to the consensus, there is some complexity to the uh, consensus statement itself, and and therefore we needed to convent, condense it in a, in a manner that maybe our sports medicine colleagues who are not engaged in the use of orthobiologics might be interested in readings. Hence... The BJSM uh, editorial really highlights the overall longer consensus statement that people can read in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine.
0: Thanks, Shane. And, yeah, I totally agree. It was a great little summary um, of the the consensus statement. So I'd encourage uh, clinicians to, to check that out, which leads on to my next question. As a clinician, it can be really hard to keep up with the latest evidence of orthobiologics supporting the effectiveness to provide their patients with the most accurate information to make an informed decision. So there are lots of options out there. Could you perhaps go through some of the common ones and the associated evidence for say improving patient symptoms and function um, or whether it's an anti-inflammatory effect or a healing effect?
1: Sure well this is this is where the discussion of orthobiologics gets even more complex because unlike most Drug development pipelines, conventional drug discovery, beginning with the preclinical models and therapeutic mechanisms of action, the field of orthobiologics has progressed via more of a surgical innovation pathway, uh, meaning orthobiologics more as procedures, not necessarily as products. And to that extent, we sometimes have only been able to determine whether a procedure is effective uh, for what we're trying to use it for, while trying to figure out what the therapeutic mechanism of action is after the fact. And yet I don't want to, you know, I don't want to dismiss the question because it's a valid one, but some, you know, sometimes for some of these treatments, as we're going through that process of proving they work, we we don't really know how it is that they do work. So, um, you know, to answer your question in terms of what it is that, that an orthobiologic treatment, regardless of whether it's bone marrow treatment, whether it's a platelet-rich plasma from blood treatment, or or even a, a newer, you know, laboratory-based cell therapy that that might only exist in research, um, symptom modification—that's that's the easiest one to validate. When when we design clinical trials, treatments either relieve pain and improve function better than controls, better than placebo. Or, or they don't and so for first-generation orthobiologics like platelet-rich plasma that has demonstrated very nice pain relief and functional improvement over a placebo injection over steroid injection over a hyaluronic acid injection when it comes to uh, a disease like knee arthritis likewise for tennis elbow and and also as a surgical adjunct to rotator cuff repairs we've we've seen some evidence of treatment efficacy uh, and on the other hand, it, it did take over a decade to prove those effects. And, and thus far, some of the bone marrow and fat cellular treatments that we have available have not yet demonstrated that level of efficacy when it, when it comes to rigorous clinical trials. But we're, we're optimistic. And those treatments, those orthobiologics are sort of in the pipeline. And then we're involved with clinical trials for, for those right now. Um, You you mentioned anti-inflammatory properties. These are proposed mechanisms for how orthobiologic therapies might be successful in relieving those painful symptoms, either of tendon problems or of of joint problems. And, And we do have some basic science mechanisms that have been demonstrated in animal models. So for example, Interleukin receptor antagonist protein concentrations are are very elevated in our concentrated bone marrow uh, cellular products. So, interleukin one receptor antagonist is an it's an inhibitor of uh, elevated interleukin uh, pro inflammatory mo- molecules that are thought to be present in arthritic joints. And but again, you know these are just mechanistic theories and certainly a long way away from from being proven. Um, But finally, um, healing, you know, we're we're starting to see our first example of healed tissues, healed injuries as a result of orthobiologic therapies, the ulnar collateral ligament injuries of baseball pitchers. When when we have partial tears, they've responded nicely to platelet-rich plasma. Uh, I don't think the same can be said for complete tears, but still a nice example of orthobiologic success. We've seen improved healing rates of rotator cuff repair with PRP and meta-analyses, and and also um, a few trials looking at the same outcomes with with concentrated bone marrow. And, And finally, avascular necrosis of the femoral head, which is a devastating disease, has Relatively consistently responded to bone marrow injection therapy as an adjunct to surgical decompression in, in early stage disease. And so those are examples where healing can reasonably be expected. But of course, those are very specific indications and not hardly the norm for the multiple injury patterns that we still need help with.
0: That's a great sum- summary. Thanks, Shane. Just a question in relation to, I guess, maybe if we go with the knee osteoarthritis patient um, and they're considering and you're considering um, some PRP, how would you have that conversation with that patient in terms of the evidence and the potential for improvement?
1: Yeah, we always start with standard of care. Uh, You know, this is, this is how we take care of knee osteoarthritis where we're modifying symptoms. We're not necessarily curing the disease, the, the disease can be cured in, in the form of a knee replacement. You get your knee replaced and you don't have osteoarthritis anymore. But um, those are great options for people in their late 60s, 70s, and 80s, but but not very good option for people in their 40s and 50s. And there are many people stuck in this treatment gap uh, in their 40s and 50s, and they have knee arthritis and they have symptoms and they want to play tennis. They they want to go out and be active, but their their knee pain holds them back. So, uh, we, we talk about conventional standard of care uh, treatments with um, activity modification, physical therapy, over the counter agents, and and then we get into the approved injectables, the the corticosteroid injections, and the hyaluronic acid injections, and 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 then. Uh, frankly, talk to them about the emerging biologic therapies and how they are not meant to replace any of those other treatments, but how they can uh, be used either in tandem or um, uh, as an alternative, uh, depending on how patients respond to the standard of care. And so really, um, each patient is different. We we try and partner with the patient, uh, have an informed conversation, but help them understand that Um, None of these orthobiologics are yet cures for for knee arthritis. We hope to get there someday Um, but the patients can you know live a very healthy active life with knee arthritis if it's adequately managed.
0: Now I really love your figure in the paper which talks through the different elements of responsible use. So if we start that with practical considerations as one of those elements, what factors should go into the decision of whether and also biologic um or regenerative therapy is appropriate and do you have any tips for clinicians when they're trying to combine these therapies with their exercise and physical activity based program
1: well, well sure and I, i'd like to say that i love the figure also and i, I want to acknowledge bjsm editor-in-chief jonathan dresner who helped edit that figure and provide some general guidance because the figure that we published with the consensus paper was a comprehensive cataloging of all the various regenerative therapy options currently available both in in practice and clinical trials. And and so that comprehensive figure didn't quite fit with the theme of the editorial, which was meant to uh, sort of highlight the broader considerations and and just be that that summary. And so the puzzle pieces graphic was born as a representative of the various pieces to the orthobiologic puzzle when it comes to what some of those practical considerations are. So um, to answer that question, what factors go into the decision-making process, we we always advocate for that stepwise approach where the simplest and cheapest standard of care option for any injury or musculoskeletal pain should should most likely be the first treatment uh, selected. And so as I mentioned before, that's usually going to be activity modification, gentle anti-inflammatory or pain-relieving medications with or without bracing. Maybe with physical therapy, and and typically those standard of care measures uh, do what they're supposed to do, and most of the time they're successful. But you know, if they do fail, or if the patient needs something additional, that's when you can start having that conversation uh, with patients about second line options. So I, I almost never have the orthobiologic conversation with patients on, on their first visit. I, I, I just don't think unless someone has already been through the gamut and they're coming to see us as a second or third option, that that really doesn't factor, in my opinion, into that first conversation. Um, it, it's really only, uh, on follow-up if we're not getting the response that we need, that we can start, uh, to look at, at different options. And of course, platelet-rich plasma has the most evidence and the most clinical experience to date, um, 10 to 15 years in, in many of our hands. And so we can, um, we can really counsel patients about what we would expect to see for uh, various different injuries, uh, those that it works for. And quite frankly, the, you know, those that it doesn't, we, and we really haven't seen it work all that well for things like Achilles tendinopathy. So you you really have to rely on your therapeutic modalities and your eccentric uh, exercise for, for those treatments. And uh, uh, PRP has just not been the, the wonder drug for something like that. But take Tennis Elbow, where it really has been uh, quite successful. And, um, and, and those are the types of conversations that you have to have. And if you're a practicing clinician in this space, those are... You know, that's the evidence that that you need to be aware of is that it's not a uh, one size fits all. And um, these orthobiologic treatments cannot be applied across all um, all types of injuries. Uh, we have to uh, validate them for each specific indication.
0: Now, one of the other elements on your lovely figure is regulatory oversight. Uh um, are clinicians expected to understand all the current regulations and policies around orthobiologics?
1: Yeah, well, fun, fun stuff, right? <laughs> so this is, this is another one of those areas where regenerative medicine really diverges from conventional medicine. Uh, in most fields, you don't have the ability to offer treatments to patients that have yet to go through a regulatory approval process, and unless that is that they're part of a clinical trial. Um, With the emergence of orthobiologic therapies, as I mentioned before, we have this overlap whereby orthobiologics are oftentimes considered procedures, which are part of the practice of medicine and do not necessarily have, uh, at least in our country, an FDA approval process. But at the same time, we are intending to use these therapies, um, uh, which involve cells, cells and tissues. Um, We're using these as drugs to try and cure orthopedic disease. And and thus, if they are drugs, that does fall under the oversight of our FDA in the United States and other like-minded regulatory agencies to, to our north and overseas. So as a result, yes, clinicians who would be practicing in orthobiologics must have more than a superficial grasp of which treatments have been approved and which are allowed under the practice of medicine as procedures alone. So, You know, the good news is that the landscape has become more clear over the past few years and more and more regulatory consultants and regulatory lawyers have offered counsel to clinicians uh, who might require some guidance. So if you're sort of just getting started in this space, those experts are out there. And I I think you just need to reach out and uh, and, um, talk about those elements that are going to be uh, present uh, in your particular clinical practice. And Make sure that both your practice and and, also your clinical practice's website and promotional materials uh, are all following those um, very clear regulatory guidelines at this point.
0: And Shane, does the consensus statement um, point clinicians in the direction of where they can kind of look up the current approved and non-approved therapies?
1: And we stopped short of doing that um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is somewhat of a, of a living document and we, you know, this is a rapidly changing landscape. Uh, You know, when it comes to FDA enforcement of some of the unapproved therapies, that that really just expired this past June. And and the FDA put out a press release statement uh, notifying the medical community, uh, you know, and the patient community of that. And so what what we didn't want in this um, uh, publishing process of both the editorial and the overall consensus statement is to have a document that was uh, out of date a couple months after we published it. Uh, so in reality, the um, the consensus was, and the advice is that every practicing clinician, uh, if you're going to be in the orthopedic space, uh, so sorry, the orthobiologic space, you just can't dabble uh, in this field. You have to develop that sort of um, uh, procedural and product expertise, as well as the regulatory expertise. And um, you know, it's a Perhaps a subspecialization of a subspecialization within within orthopedics and and sports and 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 probably should be for for the time being. Uh, there there will hopefully come a day when some of these things are more standard of care. And I think within residency and fellowship and medical training programs, we're starting to communicate this in in the educational setting, whereby um, uh, medical graduates at this point have some degree of understanding of of all of these, but. Uh, Until it's fully ingrained within the standard of care uh, medical practice, um, every practicing clinician is still going to need um, some degree of uh, counsel and uh, some expert that they can go to in the legal or regulatory space where they can just sort of make sure that everything that they're doing is uh, is appropriate uh, within medical guidelines and within regulatory guidelines.
0: And I'm assuming it's different in different countries as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's different, but you would be surprised at how like-minded most regulatory agencies are, um, you know, in, uh, to this point. Uh, and I think, you know, at some times we've seen certain countries take the lead in certain spaces, but for the most part, uh, you know, at least um, uh, in the, the US, Canada, the European medicines agency and, and Australia as well. We we see a lot of uh, consensus on on the regulatory side that um, uh, using cells um, is um, uh, with, with the same patient is, is a relatively safe thing to do provided that there's not much manipulation in this process. uh, But we all proceed with caution and, 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 um, have to follow the science and uh, the medical literature when it comes to validating these procedures and these products one by one.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. Now, do you have any tips for providing patients with information about their treatment options and gaining that informed consent and how do you manage their expectations of uh, a patient who might think that this injection is, is gonna cure their pain?
1: Well, as someone who's studied orthobiologics for over 15 years now, and I, I consider myself very familiar with the science, I, I think what you just mentioned is, is probably the hardest part for me, which is how do we simplify these complex biological interactions and mechanisms of actions in a, in a manner that patients can understand them so that they can adequately give informed consent? Um, put more simply, how, how can patients give consent to a complex procedure if the physician performing the procedure cannot adequately explain how it works. So we start by having the conversation at a patient's level of understanding. Uh, we try not to throw too much basic science at them and, and certainly no pseudoscience, right? Uh, none of this uh, stem cells come in and, and build new tissue, new tendons, uh, new cartilage. We don't do that at all. Uh, we correct any misinformation the patients may might have, try and do that well in advance of, uh, procedural consent. Uh, you have to counter some of the reports patients may see in the media, especially when it comes to elite athletes receiving, uh, stem cell therapy for their injuries. And, and then the most common misconception currently is that no orthobiologic treatment can regenerate cartilage. So, you know, for all those patients out there with, with osteoarthritis, and there are millions uh, no orthobiologic treatment should be considered a cure. Uh, we we simply cannot regenerate cartilage um, at, at the moment. Uh, certainly hope to be doing it that one day. But uh, at best, we're managing symptoms uh, right now, and we're treating disease. So. Um, I always like to use analogies with my patients and sometimes some of those analogies are good and sometimes they're not so good. But I, I like to frame the narrative for patients that in, in most cases, orthobiologic treatments are part of the overall treatment toolkit and, and for degenerative conditions, at least where we're creating therapeutic partnerships, we're managing those symptoms together uh, in, in hopes of improving overall quality of life. Uh, So that the analogy that I use for that is uh, one of like high blood pressure or high cholesterol, both of which are two incredibly common diseases that we don't cure those either. But uh, with appropriate regular management, we can treat those conditions and we can keep them under control such that patient's quality of life is uh, is not harmed in any way by them. And so many degenerative orthopedic conditions can be viewed uh, in much the same way with a a therapeutic partnership uh, whereby we're managing symptoms.
0: There's some fantastic uh, analogies and terminology for clinicians to take away there. Thank you. Now to finish off, can you provide the listeners with three key takeaways uh, for clinicians considering the use of orthobiologics for their patient?
1: Sure. So uh, first, um, we must recognize—we uh, should all recognize—really that um, regenerative medicine is a, a new paradigm in medicine, and. Um, Uh, We don't, we don't have it all worked out yet. It's still in the translational research phases. Uh, Some of those, um, uh, regenerative therapies are starting to make their way into, um, into clinical practice. But the simple, simplest analogy is that we are using the human body as our own drugstore. Uh, and that is very different from the conventional pharmaceuticals of your, so to speak. And, uh, our, our figure in the editorial highlights that. Um, second, we're, you know, we, we're oversimplifying regenerative medicine and, ser- and cell therapy if, if we think we can all just reach into the cabinet and pull out our ready-made cures. None of the orthobiologic treatments to date really fit that description. Um, there's much more work to do when it comes to validating orthobiologic therapies for the, the many conditions that, that they have been proposed for. Uh, and, you know, and finally, we, you know, we have much reason to be enthusiastic about the future of orthobiologic therapies. Uh, uh, we are, we're simply in our infancy. Uh, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, we're very hopeful, but uh, in 2021, it's still just one of many tools uh, to treat orthopedic and sports pathology. And as as we alluded to before, uh, none of those are going to succeed as standalone therapies. So they'll all Need appropriate treatment protocols, along with rehabilitation and and return to sport algorithms in order in order to succeed. But um, very hopeful uh, to uh, continue the early success that that we have had and and build upon um, uh, uh, future treatments uh, for uh, for joint and, and tendon and ligament and and other pathologies moving forward.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Shapari you're doing fantastic work and yeah, the sports medicine world is very uh, lucky to have someone in there doing the work that you're doing. Um, if listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch?
1: Oh, uh, it's usual. So I think I've got my email, um, within the, um, uh, the editorial there. Uh, I'm at Shane Shapiro MD on Twitter and, uh, Uh, also on LinkedIn and so uh, try very much to respond to to queries and and questions about uh, orthobiologic therapies and um, uh, hope to, to drive the field forward.
0: Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. The two papers Shane referred to the editorial and the position statement are in the show notes. We hope you have a great day and stay safe over the holidays.